Hi, I'm your host, Mark Stenson. In addition to these podcast interviews, I facilitate patient-doctor listening research, known as Innovate Groups. These panels have four patients and four doctors and provide an opportunity to observe and improve the interactions that lie at the heart of effective health care. I've created an ebook on this Innovate Group method, and I'd like to offer you a download. It includes real-life case studies to underscore the power of better patient-doctor listening. So visit biosciencebridge.com to download your ebook, Innovate Group Revolutions. Now, before I welcome today's guest, here's a familiar voice on an important health topic. Hi, we're the Goo Goo Dolls. We're fortunate that our daughters have what they need to grow and learn. But that isn't the case for nearly 13 million kids in the U.S. that struggle with hunger. Childhood hunger is a heartbreaking reality that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and provides it to families and children in need. You can help kids in need in your community by visiting feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome to The Patient Speak, healthcare innovations accelerating the patient journey. Featuring interviews with healthcare leaders and patient advocates. Here's your host, best-selling author, Mark Stinson. Welcome back, friends and colleagues, to our podcast, The Patients Speak where we combine the business and science innovation of healthcare with the patient voice to make sure that we're accelerating the patient's journey from diagnosis to wellness. And we're so glad to talk to patient advocates, medical researchers, hospital administrators, all about how we can improve this journey. And we're so glad to have as our guest today, Dr. Doug Slakey, internationally renowned transplant surgeon, educator, healthcare professional and administrator. He's professor of surgery at the University of Illinois in Chicago and president of his own uh, consulting firm, Process Health Consulting, and also the author of a brand new book called The Process Manifesto. Doug, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be here. And you're such an approachable guy. I, I say I go back and forth between Dr. Slakey and Doug. I can't say internationally recognized transplant surgeon and then say, hi, Doug. But uh, that's the kind of, I think, communication patients would like to have. I think you're absolutely right. I think at, sometimes we set these boundaries or these barriers between us as patients and providers or hospitals and health systems and patients my my belief is that leads to a whole host of problems that we could talk about but i think at a, at its fundamental core we have to realize that at some point in our lives each of us is a caregiver and each of us is a patient and it really is a continuum and to set this artificial boundary uh, i think is counterproductive and we lose our humanity, uh, or, or we risk losing our humanity if we do that. Mm -hmm. And in your book, The Process Manifesto, certainly there's an infinite number of processes and procedures and protocols that go into healthcare. But I was intrigued that one of the introductory quotes in the book is from one of your patients, a cancer survivor. And, and I think from the patient's point of view, Doug, that's where I'd really like to start. And of course, in the context of our podcast, what do you think we need to hear from the patients the most when we think about process? 
Yeah, I've thought about this a lot. And so my journey to understanding and trying to put my thoughts down in words really began early in my career as a transplant surgeon, where we made these processes that were very important, how to get the patient into the system and through the system and safely. And as I started really understanding performance and how the team performed, what I realized was, is we were looking at these processes with our own internal lens to see how it worked for us. And when I started to really move forward and incorporate patient feedback into the process, I realized that the patient journey, I like to call it the patient journey from a diagnosis or a, a medical need to some sort of recovery. And of course that's very individualized, but from the patient's perspective, their view of the system is so different. And if we look at the processes to optimize the patient journey, the patient's interface with each different component of the health system, that's what's so important. And Mark, the thing that I really realized was even within one hospital or one clinical practice, we have fragments and these different fragments of care. So you might have the finance group, the physicians, the nurses, the pharmacy, the list goes on. And all these have their own processes, but the patient doesn't usually see a continuity or a clear link between them. And so what I really wanted to do, and, and this has been a passion of mine, both personally, professionally, and with scholarly activity, is to, to see how can we change that paradigm so that patient-centric care and a patient orientation is really paramount in how we look and measure processes. Yes. And it's interesting how we use these different hyphenated words, patient-centered, patient-centric, patient-focused, patient-benefits. Yeah. Um, but I also, I, I think about the process of mapping a customer journey, a patient journey. And both uh, healthcare executives and patients listen to this podcast. So this may be revealing to patients, but not so much for healthcare executives, but to wallpaper the conference room with a chart, a flow chart here, let's go from box to box and step to step and see how many boxes we can eliminate and make it easier. And wait, we skipped one. Who's in charge of this? <laughs> right. But that's what you're talking about saying, can we follow the patient literally? step-by-step step from when they phone call in and make the appointment all the way to maybe when they're either discharged or find their test results on their medical locker. You know? <laughs> yeah, we can talk about who owns the medical locker as yes. well, which is another thing. <laughs> so here's something that is so interesting. So the subtitle to my book is In a Complex Healthcare World. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, so you're exactly right, what we have traditionally done over the past two or three decades is to try to reduce healthcare and the processes to a very linear approach where we think we can make every patient essentially look the same, fit into a box, and with a high degree of predictability, 
assume that if the patient moves from point A to point B to point C, we can tell exactly how it works. And then what do we do? If something doesn't work, we try to work backwards and figure out where that point of failure was. And we think, oh, we can fix it. Most of the time when we do that, we're just putting out fires. We're not really changing the process. And I, I was so fortunate. I was able to meet um, uh, a couple of professors of economics in when I was in Chicago who really uh, opened my eyes to complex system theory and how that differs from linear processes. So I think we all know that human beings are not like a car on an assembly line, right? We each mm -hmm. have our own unique histories. We have socioeconomic realities, which we know make a huge difference. Social determinants of health is so important from the patient perspective. That coupled with anxiety, fear, maybe language barriers, there's so many different individual components that affect the way the patient goes through the process. And so what I really realized is if we're going to have transformational change in the way we look at processes, as healthcare leaders, physicians, executives, we have to embrace complexity theory. And we have to realize we cannot reduce everything to a linear process and treat human beings like they're on an assembly line. And if we look at it from the patient perspective, you might say, oh, that's too complex. How could we do it? And it is. But if you look at it from the patient's perspective and we say, we recognize that there are standards we want to follow because we want patients to get reliable care, but we want to be adaptable and flexible to be able to align resources, knowledge and education and information to the individual patient need. So I could give you one simple example. Let's say That'd I had, great. yeah, let's say I had two patients I'm seeing in my office with a hernia, the same basic exact hernia, they need the same surgery. So if I told you that one patient was from a college educated household, had a lot of resources, transportation, everything, you would say they're very low risk. The other patient, if I told you they were from, they were single, they lived in public housing, they didn't have a car, they relied on public transportation. Those two patients' needs are very different. Even if the diagnosis is the same, even if I, as a surgeon, say I'm going to do the exact same surgery, going to take the same amount of time, we know that those, the risk of those patients coming back to the hospital, having a complication are going to be different. And so if we can identify that, so the process of getting the hernia fixed, pretty much the same, right? We say, I'm going to do the same surgery. Here's your pre-op evaluation. But an ideal process in a complex world would be able to recognize and accommodate to those two different patients. One might need transportation, one might need other support. And that's the human interface that we really need to um, emphasize as a priority. I'm glad you brought this up because uh, if we think just improved process is gonna fix that, but uh, the human interaction, 
And so many of the patients uh, have emphasized good communication, empathy, compassion. So I was pleased to see the introduction of your book was written by Dr. James Doty of Stanford's uh, Center for Compassion and Research on this issue of good communication, empathy, and communicate. Where, where do you find compassion fits into a good process? I think it's foundational and fundamental. And the interesting thing, honestly, about compassion is when we look at the, the complex health system, I think we have to have compassion for all the major stakeholders. And, and I put that in writing because I do believe it's not one-sided. And, and we have many times, unfortunately, gotten into a situation where we break down the healthcare system and we say us versus them. And what do we see as a result? We see patients that are frustrated with lack of access. We see healthcare providers, especially those on the front lines who are suffering from depression and burnout. I was just reading some horrible stories about nurse suicides, for example, and how those have gone up so much. And then I do think if you're a healthcare administrator, you have pressures on you as well to keep the lights on and keep the funds flowing. And so to have compassion and understanding for all these different people and the different components, I believe sets the stage for processes that actually empower people on all the different sides and recognize that human uh, component. And I'll just say the thing that when I first met Dr. Doty that he taught me and I really learned from him was the difference between empathy and compassion and that compassion is actually action oriented. I think empathy is easy. We can feel maybe what other people are feeling, but then to go beyond that and actually do something about it, which is meaningful. That, when I heard him first speak and and uh, we became friends, that really resonated with me. And so I, I made that my 10th core principle out of, right. out of my list of 10, but I struggled with whether to put it first or last, but I figured if it's last, it'll stick in people's minds and become that foundational element through which they look at how do we improve care yes. and processes. It's a great distinction between uh, compassion and empathy, the feeling vis-a-vis -vis the action part. Yeah. Doug, maybe we can look at the other side then for a moment. And we've been talking about providers and the system for the healthcare, but let's talk about the patient's empowerment. You mentioned that we're trying to also create better patients, if I could put it that way. <laughs> but we're certainly trying to say uh, the patient has a role to yes. bring knowledge and to bring uh, empowerment to the conversation and to speak up on their own benefit. Where do you see that fitting into this improvement of processes? I, I think it's so important. And I, I have a couple of specific ideas for patients and their relationship with the healthcare uh, system. First and foremost, if I was going to do something very transformative, 
The one thing that I have been advocating for, and there are some really smart people working on this, is how do we change the paradigm so that the patient actually owns their medical information? I, I think when that actually happens, and I'm an optimist, I believe it will happen, <laughs> that will change the entire dynamic because then the patient will be truly in control of what's important with respect to their health care. Nowadays, you can say with the electronic health record, you can sign up for a portal, you can see your information, but you can only see the information that the health system and the providers want you to see. Mm -hmm. It's not uniform. And if you want to take your information and make a switch as a patient, you have to, again, ask permission. Imagine if you had to do that with your banking system. Right, if you had my money. <laughs> yeah, I want to see my bank transactions and you had to sign a form. So that's the first thing, but that's obviously a little bit in the future. Short of that, I think here's some of the key things patients can do. One is to be sure when they interact with the healthcare system that they ask the providers for a clear explanation of what the journey will be. What are all those different process components? Because if you understand that, it's like taking a trip, right? If we're going to take a trip, we know we have to get to the airport, and we have to get a plane ticket, and we have to get a hotel, maybe tours or whatever. And you have that all mapped out for you. As physicians, as providers, we have in our minds that we're doing that behind the scenes, but we don't often articulate that or even write it down for the patients. And I think in the for the patients I've had, the ones who've asked specifically for that, I've actually been grateful that they did because that then shifts some of the empowerment and the responsibility to the patient. So I think that's the first thing, having a clear idea of what are those components of your healthcare journey and how are they going to tie together? And of course, you want to do that as early in the process as possible. The second thing patients can really do is um, educate themselves. Now, this is a challenge because we tend to use highly technical language in healthcare. We tend to be rather paternalistic, mm -hmm. unfortunately, even today mm -hmm. in many of our uh, healthcare interactions. You might be surprised. I, my wife and I have even faced this. Even though we're very sophisticated consumers, we have these sometimes rather paternalistic interactions, sure, sure. which are negative. But anyway, oh, and you mentioned that we're all some at some point a patient. I don't yeah. know about you. You've been a patient, but yeah. I've been a patient. I'm an educated person. Uh, I feel like I'm empowered. And yet I go in, you're in the gown, you're sitting down, the doctor's standing up. There is a there's a power <laughs> differential there. Yeah, there sure is a power differential. And I I I think part of as challenging it is it is for the patients is to try to break down that power differential by coming into the situation with some knowledge, having educated themselves and ask questions 
that are specific to what their expectations are and how they want to be treated. I think that's super important. You started the conversation by saying, was it Dr. Slakey or Doug? It was funny. I always introduced myself to my patients by my first name. Mm. And I think most of them actually were very grateful over the years that we did that. And and I'll tell you, it was interesting. Gosh, when I was very young in training, one of the senior physicians would always sit down at the patient's bedside when we did rounds, would pull up a chair, sit down to be at eye contact. And you mentioned that just the power differential of people being in a gown, in a bed, or and the physician standing. And I'll tell you, that made such an impression on me. Uh, Sitting down, being at eye level, talking to the patient as a person instead of a disease or just somebody who is not, has that, it doesn't have that same connection. And I I think patients can can help uh, with that by really letting the physicians know what's important to them, a little bit about their personal lives, bring that context into the dialogue. Because many times the physicians don't know. I talked about that example of the hernia patients. As physicians, we often are completely ignorant about what the patient's true living situation is, whether they have transportation that's reliable, whether they have food consistently. Mm-hmm. We really don't know that. And although it can be embarrassing, perhaps, I think if patients, and hopefully they're in an environment where they can share that, but if patients do share some of that information, it can make a big difference in how their healthcare is delivered. Mm -hmm. And how can we track these improvements? I think about the evolution from Malcolm Baldridge and J.D. Power (laughs) Awards and Press Ganey surveys. And now patients, of course, can publish their own reviews and put put on Yelp as much as a restaurant, (laughs) you know, how they like their doctor. But how are we tracking and how could we know both from the patients and the providers, the staff, the nurses, how are we tracking whether this is improving and whether everybody's happy with it? So there's two components to that. One is the experiential component, which is important. Are are patients happy? Are they getting access? Are they um, being able to communicate with their physician? So that's those press gainy type reports or the Yelp reviews. The other side of the coin is really interesting because if we look at these processes, we have we do have to decide what's the right outcome measure. So often we've been looking at intra-process measures. How long is the patient in the hospital or what's their 30-day readmission rate? And we use that as a proxy for quality, but it doesn't always line up. So what we need to do and what we're starting to do actually is move from these very small, finite process measures to actual patient outcome quality measures. And this is where the patient empowerment is so important because the communication of what are the patient's expectations, 
so that the physician understands that for something like a joint replacement, like a knee replacement, it, it might be somebody might just want to be able to walk. Somebody might want to return to skiing or some other activity. Those are fairly easy to measure, but we have not traditionally measured those ultimate outcomes. Super important to start doing that. For something like cancer treatment, again, highly individualized. Every patient has a different journey with something like heart disease or cancer. And I think that's where the patient has to be able to understand what their outcome really is going to be. The process side, the physician and the health system side has to be honest about that. We have to have those sometimes challenging communication and conversations, which if we use the theory of compassion underlying that, it's a little easier to have those conversations, but you have to be honest and you can provide hope while at the same time being realistic. So I think the real answer to your question is truly understanding what's what are those functional outcomes we're actually striving to achieve and how do we align that with the patient journey, the processes related to the patient journey as a whole? And thinking about outcomes, we can hardly have a conversation about healthcare processes without talking about the finance of it all. And uh, sometimes the access is limited because of finance, but also this idea that we're only going to pay for good outcomes. And uh, if the patients are satisfied and if they're actually getting the medical outcome that was promised or intended, where does uh, the financial realities of insurance and payments and that sort of thing enter in to these processes? Yeah, so I think that the key is if we have processes that are holistic and focused on that ultimate patient outcome goal, then we can realign some of the payment models with those expectations. Some of the tremendous challenge that we face now is that unfortunately, there are good examples of where complications of care actually increase not only the cost, but the revenue to the facility more than the original procedure. And so we have sometimes perverse incentives that are unfortunately built into the system. I think the the things that I'm really encouraged by are a movement towards more of what we're calling risk sharing. Um, especially between large self-insured employers and the healthcare systems that they uh, see where they send their employees. Um, Because as we start to share risk, there's a motivation on both sides to have the most effective processes to deliver those results most efficiently. What we don't want to do and the argument that or concern people have is that could we go down a slippery slope where we're denying care or we're not providing real care that's important to patients. But I go back to this first 
philosophical point that we have to look at things from the patient's perspective. What do they really need and what's their objective? If we do that, then the processes and the payment models can align so that we can not only reduce waste and avoidable expenses, but we can provide a higher quality, more reliable product at the at the end of the day. That's so good. Doug, it's been a fantastic conversation. I really enjoyed you sharing some of these uh, principles and the process, even in, in the complexity that it is. Uh, there's no simple answer, but they could be simple, but they're not always easy, if I could say it that way. <laughs> True. True. Yes. Leave us with a call to action. You, you've you've provided some very actionable ideas. If you could summarize for us as we close, uh, an action that we need to take, let's take it from the provider's point of view. We're thinking about a patient-centric system for sure. Uh, but what do we need to hear from the patients to be to put them in the center? Yeah, so I, I think that feedback is key. I'm a tremendous proponent of the continuous quality improvement paradigm. And that's so important to understand the operative word there is continuous. So to have that feedback from the patients and the feedback from the patients, as we talked about, has to be twofold. What's their experience? Was their experience, their access, their ability to communicate back and forth with the healthcare system, good. And then the second thing is, did the patient have the outcome that they wanted? And furthermore, that they were told was a reasonable expectation. I think that's important to understand. And that feedback is so important. So the call to action for patients is to be willing to be honest and open and give their feedback, not just say, oh, I'm going to somewhere else, but to give that feedback. And then for the providers and the healthcare systems is to really honestly and sincerely uh, seek to get that feedback and to get that feedback in a way which doesn't just support their pre-existing biases that they're already wonderful, but to make meaningful improvement in those processes. And then the final thing I'll just say, Mark, is that decentralizing control and putting the control at the front lines of the healthcare system, the interface between the provider and the patient is critical, a critical call to action to move that control to the front line so people can use their knowledge, education, training, and humanism, compassion to actually make a difference and listen. Yes. So powerful. There's a lot in there, but it's it's a goal worth pursuing. That's for sure. Listeners, uh, we've been enjoying a conversation with Dr. Doug Slakey. He's the author of a terrific new book called The Process Manifesto, Improving Healthcare in a Complex World. And often we've been focused on the complexity, but look at the basic ideas that Doug has shared with us today. First is to, to get the process patient-centered. And then second is to really think about the compassion of that healthcare that we're providing. 
And then third is to help educate and empower the patient. And all the while thinking about the individualization of the care. One size does not fit all and one process does not fit all. And that's a good takeaway from today. Doug, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here, Mark. Yes. And listeners, come back again. Today, we've talked to Dr. Doug Slakey, internationally recognized transplant surgeon and educator and administrator. Uh, But we're going to continue to talk to healthcare executives, administrators, providers, and most of all, patient advocates on what we need to hear when the patients speak. For now, I'm Mark Stinson, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to The Patients Speak. Healthcare innovations accelerating the patient journey with best-selling author Mark Stinson. Our podcast is hosted on Captivate.fm so you can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe now so you won't miss an episode of The Patients Speak. This podcast is produced by BSB Media. We also host another show you might enjoy. Unlocking Your World of Creativity. It's a top-rated podcast featuring interviews with creators around the world. We help you gain the confidence and connections to launch your creative work out into the world. Look for Unlocking Your World of Creativity on your favorite podcast app.